0: This is a main hustle media podcast. to Relatively Mixed, the podcast about race and identity from the mixed race perspective. I am your host, Charmaine, a.k.a. Mixed Girl Maine. And before we jump into Episode 8 with Danielle Earl, just a couple feelings. I just want to talk about some feelings I'm having. Last week, I think it was, I joined a Facebook community group called Black Podcasters Unite. Shout out to everybody in that group. And uh, man, in this two weeks, the amount of support and love and just helpfulness that I've received, not just me directly, but that I've also witnessed through the back and forth chats on both the Facebook group and uh, we have a Twitter group as well uh, has been amazing, and so I really wanted to shout them out. And i i haven't I haven't gotten to everybody yet, but there's a few of y'all who I am listening to, and um, hope to kind of be able to plug your podcast down the line. Um, first one that comes to the top of my head is a single simulcast with Derek Jones. He, um, I think he started the group, and actually he and I went to high school together, but we didn't know each other. Uh, that was just something random we discovered, and. Uh, mocha minutes that is also another podcaster in that group and she's pretty awesome. and so check out those shows. Uh, sorry to all the other ones who I haven't named, but I'm still trying to get to your podcast geek philosophy uh, stays crunchy and milk, I think is one of them um, ungentrified um, by black. So yeah, I'm trying to work my way through all of those podcasts and and trying to shout them out to folks so if you, are listening to this show and you want to find new podcasts to listen to those ones that i named you can check them out on itunes or stitcher and google play soundcloud whatever subscribe rate and review for them because not only are they delivering podcasts out to the world they are also being super supportive of other black podcasters and i just want to shout out to all of them um and yeah, I mean, I guess like I can't believe that this summer is almost over and how insanely fast it went by. We launched uh, Black Radical Queer, the, f- the first podcast that kind of dropped under main Hustle Media banner on June it was the 26th or 29th, whatever the last Wednesday of June was. And we launched the first episode of Militantly Mixed on July 5th. And then just last week, Blur Vision and I decided to create an entirely new podcast in the mi- militantly mixed family uh, called the Black as Fuck Edition. That dropped last week. Um, episode one of that of that show is episode seven of this show. So go ahead and check it out. Um, that was sort of the original vision. That version of the show is sort of the original vision. That Blur Vision. <laughs> And I had when we were first talking about doing Militantly Mixed. Um, but as you've heard several times, we had schedule conflicts. We couldn't really make it work when I was finally had time and was ready to do Militantly Mixed. So I, I ended up launching the interview version of the show, which has given me so much life. Getting a chance to connect with all these mixed race people around the world has been insane. I mean, we're only in episode eight, but I'm actually on like interview 17 um, or individual Seventeen, but I've talked to some of these people multiple times, um, and these new relationships that I've been lucky enough to form as a result of the podcast has been crazy. Um, I have been getting messages on Twitter and Instagram, um, a couple of emails, but it's usually Twitter and Instagram, Uh, Facebook as well. People who have listened to the show and have said, you know, the show has really helped them feel seen or now they realize that they're not very, they're not actually alone in the world, that they're not something, you know, that there's other people like them. And uh, a couple of them have choked me up. I'm not gonna lie. There's one in particular this week. She reached out to me on Twitter. I'm not gonna drop her name, but she sent me a link, the explanation about her background and how different it, it was from anything she's heard on the show so far, but that the show has really resonated with her and um I mean I just I'm grateful that people are taking the time to even listen to the show, let alone actually send me these you know beautiful messages about how the impact the show is having on them and telling me about their their background. So that leads me to my plea, which is if you have or have not reached out to me yet, but you are a fan of the show and the show is giving you something, uh, please reach out to me and come on the show. Um, we got we got to tell these stories. We need representation. We are an extremely under underrepresented group in media and in, in everything in jobs, <laughs> in positions of power, stuff like that. So so uh, that's what we're doing the show for. We're trying to push representation for mixed race people. We're trying to help mixed race people not feel alone in the world. And just because in your pocket, there's not many people that look like you or are mixed like you. They are out there in the world and they're um, they're ready to hear your story, just like you've been ready to hear theirs so if you are interested in coming on the show and sharing your stories with us hit me up on email at Charmaine at militantlymixed.com and that's S as in Sam H-A-R-M-A-N-E at militantlymixed.com um, so send me an email and we can get set up so that we can have a Skype interview To share your stories. Um, That's how I'm doing it. You don't even have to leave your house. Uh, That's how I talked to Mixed Up Mama in the UK and a future episode James in Vienna. Um, I got another interview coming up in the UK this week. Let's see. I've talked to people all over the United States so far canada with john corbin in our first episode so it's, it doesn't have to be an inconvenience it's just an hour of your time on skype with me talking about being mixed so if you're interested please hit me up um also continue to send me messages through twitter and instagram and facebook because that is keeping me going and keeping me on the right path because this is a it's a show for you and i want you to get what you need out of it and don't forget that Militantly Mix is a fan-sponsored show, so if the show is giving you life or you are getting something out of it and you want to help keep us going... You can go to Patreon, www.patreon.com slash mixed, where you can subscribe for monthly sponsorship for as low as a dollar a month to as high as whatever you want. You'll have access to exclusive or early content and show swag as the show develops. I'll get more stuff on there. but all your donations will help us with hosting fees, help us improve our equipment over time, things like that. Um, there is also we finally did get a, a PayPal Donate Me button, uh, which I've had a few people reach out to me on Twitter and Instagram about. So thank you for actually even asking how to give us money. That's amazing. Um, but that address is PayPal.me slash militantly mix. So if you want to give us a one-town donation to keep us going, that is paypal.me slash militantly mix. All right. I think that's enough. Uh, let's get into the episode. So this episode is I got to speak with Danielle Earl, who is a film producer in the greater New York area. She's one of the early people that I got to speak with. So um, this is actually an interview that was recorded in June. And it actually does feel like an interview, a little bit more question and answer-y than some of my most recent conversations. And as y'all know, I have been Playing these um, interviews sort of out of order, so this is also one from before I think I even had any equipment yet. I think I was just going off of my um, my headphones and my laptop. I was still like laying in my bed with a chair pillow and a TV dinner tray that I had my laptop on, my cats are running around. Um, so, you know, sometimes there's some audio things and It's hella loud or whatever, but, um, what I was, I needed to dig myself out of that non-creative hole. So we started the podcast before we had shit to start it with. Danielle is amazing to talk to. She focuses or a lot of the work that she has done, things that she has produced do have some sort of a, um, you know, diversity or inclusion aspect to them. You know, those are the projects that she becomes passionate about. She's actually the person who also connected me to Melissa Guzman from episode two uh, on their series Complexity. Danielle is one of the producers on that show. And uh, Melissa Guzman is the writer director. Um, So Danielle is great. We talk about all kinds of stuff related to, you know, her background and um, film production, things like that, which is something she and I share in common. It was just good. It's just a good old talk. And actually, it was a super long talk. So I cut a big old portion out of it because I'm going to use that for a later episode. But for now, here is a more reasonably timed interview with producer Danielle Earl. Enjoy. I'm really excited to get a chance to talk to you again, Danielle. I really appreciate you coming on to the show with me. I know that you are extremely busy and we'll talk about all the stuff that you are working on right now. But first, let's do just a little bit of a self-introduction. Tell us about your background, your background your origin and what being mixed race means to you.
1: Awesome. Well, first and foremost, I want to tell you, thank you so much for having me on your awesome show and like, and everything I'm like <laughs> so blown about what you're doing and like the people that are like interviewed before me. So, <laughs> but, um, uh, I've actually, basically, a you know, filmmaker, uh, director, you know, writer, producer, um, originally from New York, uh, from Bronx, New York, uh, but I currently reside in New Jersey. Um, and, and yeah. And, and especially with my, um, my origin, my family background, background um it's very mixed uh my basically from my mother's side uh, it's like East Indian uh, and uh, and West Indian also um, father is originally from Jamaica Kingston Jamaica uh, and also um, my mother she's originally from here um, but her her brother was originally from Trinidad my hmm. um, grandmother was from Trinidad and she was white you know uh, so and also my great-grandmother was Irish uh, so that's you know a, a part of me too you know our family background um
0: I never so, even yeah. think about white Caribbean folks yeah like I know they were still lingering people there but I never think about them being there <laughs> yeah, that's true
1: oh my god and if you go to like Florida like um grandmother you know I remember when I was younger oh we went to like you know get some patties you know at like a you know a nearby uh golden crust and there was actually you know there's like a white um white and uh Asian uh you know Trinidadian or not Trinidadian uh, Jamaican it was just talking to Jamaica you know huh. this whole language and and speech and I was like kind of, you know, like take it back to because I've never seen that type of thing before. But, you know, it's so diverse over there that a lot of people don't see, you know, besides the commercials that come out for like Jamaica.
0: So as you were growing up, what was your like, what did you understand about your mixedness, given that you had a Caucasian grandmother and, you know, blue eyes and everything, but your family was was a mix of East Indian and West Indian and Trinidadian. Like what what did you think of as as a young person, what your identity was
1: I guess, you know, with me, it's like it was it's kind of been like an ever changing or just like discovery, because when I was younger, you know, I really you know, we didn't really see color or anything. So we're just like, you know, grandma, this is the way she is. And I grew up with her. And but later, you know, when I was like older, I would say maybe in high school or getting, you know, older than that, I discovered, you know, that my great grandmother, you know, was Irish, you know, we had family out there and my father, we didn't really talk about, because he, you know, passed away at a young age, you know, relatively, you know, young guy. And then my mom, you know, kind of had to raise, you know, not sort of raise herself, but she grew up very quickly, you know, and I would say by the age of 16 and, you know, growing up with my mother. So she kind of started to discover things, too. Like, she didn't even know that she had a sister, you know, until she was like in her 20s, almost that, you know, she had a sister that's like in Trinidad and, you know, was raised by, you know, a family out there. And, you know, my grandmother wasn't able to be there for her or, or send her papers to come to the U.S. And, you mm-hmm. know, it was very sad that, you know, what people had to go through during that time and um and also know, not drunk. talk
0: about it yeah, you know, yeah. That's it,
1: you know it's like my mom was like kind of okay with it you know it's like but imagine if you come up with a different generation you know kids would kind of freak out you know a little bit more vocal <laughs> right <laughs> so, to kind of like discover all these different things and um you know but their family um so yeah you know it was like an eye opener
0: did you I remember you saying something about I think it was uh in Baltimore or moving to New Jersey there was something about um Someone seeing your grandmother and being like, "Is that really your grandmother?" Yeah. Oh,
1: that was. Um, it was. Rare. I would say because I was in maybe high school around that time. Um, because, or no, not high school. I would say like in middle school, younger. Because my grandmother would come, you know, if we had like, you know, any functions or anything like that at the school graduation. And so people would be like, you know, kind of like stunned to be like, you know, that's my grandmother, you know, with the blue eyes and everything. And like, you know, it's just because they are because, you know, the neighborhood that I grew up in, you know, in Oakland, New Jersey and Burton County, barely, you know, at that time, like the 90s were barely any black families living in the town. It was like very, you know, if you were like a black family, you lived near the river type area, which because they were just very like segregated in a way. But my mom was kind of like, you know, a rebel. She came to like, the States from New York and she was looking <laughs> around for houses. And I remember that, you know, she would tell me the story that the realtor showed her all these houses are, you know, by the river down there, you know, because they had flooding. And, you know, she was like, no, I, you know, she went to look at the other house and it wasn't on his listing or whatever. And she was like, you know, I want to look at this house. This is the house that I want. And this is the one I'm going to get. <laughs> and, and it was like, and at that time, people were like, oh, you know, this family, black family, living on the corner. Mm you know type thing and, and she was you know very vocal in terms of like politics and, and all that other stuff and getting you know talking about more um starting a, even a black uh basically like an alliance or a black group that people would go door to door with the other black families and try to save ways to kind of you know help with the community and mm. everything and um yeah and it was and that was during the time um al sharpton came in, in early obviously like the late 80s or like early 90s he actually came up to over here because there was a lot of black you know and white issues that were going going on and he was very vocal about it you know and it's like yeah so like you know i don't know what during that time in the 90s they're more like radical um but yeah you know that's kind of like i kind of went on the tangent but that's you know what i've experienced you know with that type of thing
0: Mm -hmm. So did you ever feel that you had a crisis of identity or something like, you know, some mixed kids do? Or did you feel pretty comfortable with just how diverse your family was? You didn't really have to question that you were mixed. And more than anything, it was people's reactions to you versus your own sense of
1: it. Yeah, yeah, you know, I would say, you know in the community they lived in um, I remember one time I was uh, like in Girl Scouts you know I was young I didn't even you know know about these things about segregation or anybody feeling you know (laughs) feeling different from everybody and I never even knew about it until my mom told me you know later on that um, you know we we went to like horses back Ranch it was like this um, uh, you know like trip that we went on and um, so all the girls you know they stayed in like uh, either like a hotel or a cabin type thing and uh, one of the parents um, talked to, uh, like, the other mother saying that I don't feel comfortable having Danielle in the room with my other kid. And they were all mm. like, I was the only black kid. <laughs> and, you know, and, and my mom, you know, she heard about it, like, later after the fact, like, her and one of her friends spoke up and I said, well, I feel comfortable with Danielle being in the room. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, what is your problem, yeah, you know, with wow. her name? Yeah. And it was so, like, it was just that kind of, like, subtle type thing. And, like, you know, um, oh, yeah. I mean, I could tell you stories even with my, you know, my brother growing up, too, when he was in you know, a teenager and in high school and, and he actually, uh, there was a girl that was Italian that liked my brother and, you know, wanted him to come to the prom with her and, you know, he was a junior and um the father was very polite and everything and he would say, said, well, I don't feel comfortable having any pictures or anything like that on my wall mm. or anything. Like, so yeah, and he <laughs> like called family and he was very nice, you know, and he still, you see him, you know, later on in the supermarket say hello and this is how it was and it's like, it's sad that, you know, it was like that. All right. And, you know, and it's like, seems like it's not much of a difference or.
0: They're not shy about being overtly racist, which I used to always say, like, I would rather my races be overt and out in front of your face so that you knew which ones you didn't have to worry about them because you knew exactly who they were. But I'm getting to the point, it's so overt now that, you know, even people running for Congress are saying, you know, saying things like the Holocaust never existed and black people are all have sub brains and shit like that. And I'm thinking, what year are we in? I'm starting to miss the days when subtle racism was the thing and not the overt stuff because it's it's just shocking how backwards it feels that like it's going right now so would you say that that was probably your first experience with racism the the mother's not wanting to yeah, be
1: not yeah it's, and i think and the thing is it didn't trigger me because i was so young you know thinking right. about it you know and and i you know just kind of did my own thing and i was you know to me you know going to i remember one year i lived in florida for like one year and um then i had family out there um but i went back to you know new jersey and everything but um it was all totally different it was more um hispanic more you know black Mm -hmm. that went to the the school high school and you know i was you know grew up in predominantly like white neighborhood and you know the type of music and the type of influence i've had is very different from like somebody you know upbringing in the culture of black culture and stuff like that so Mm -hmm. when i came to like you know that area it was kind of like you know, you felt like a kind of like disconnect. But at the same time, there's a little bit more acceptance, I think, you mm. know, in that way, because, of, you know, of your makeup. And, you know, and I remember hanging out, all my friends were, you know, Hispanic. I said, you know, I, hang, I hung out in that type of crowd. And um, and I, and I just, you know, I felt very comfortable. And, you know, did um, people think it,
0: of you as Afro Latina? Because that's of of where you hung out. With?
1: <laughs> I think so, and it's very strange. I do have, you know, and that's another thing. I do have like um, a family member that's, you know, Cuban. So we did have that kind of like, you know, Cuban influence, and and you know, and she also spoke the language, and you know, um, especially with family gatherings and everything. So um, it was just a very, you know, diverse, you know, family, you know, that that mm-hmm. kind of brought us attention to all different types of cultures, and um, that we were kind of influenced on. So um, yeah. Yeah, so I felt kind of like connection with a lot of times <laughs> it's funny how it kind of like resonates to the projects that I'm working on now right, with type yeah. of and
0: everything else. Like, you know, um, yeah. So. It's funny because, uh, and this is something I'm probably going to end up saying on every single episode. So I apologize to the people are listening that they're going to keep hearing it. Uh, but in my case, you know, I was raised more, more black than anything else, culturally Japanese when I was at home with my mother's side. But you know, other than that, or even with my mother if I wasn't in my Japanese house I was raised more around black people so I feel more black um but because I present in this sort of ambiguously Asian Latin kind of coloring and and look uh, a lot of times people thought I was Dominican or or Puerto Rican especially if they're from the East Coast they think I'm Dominican or Puerto Rican if they're on the West Coast they think I'm Mexican or Filipino and and so I would get this thing with people that if I didn't speak Spanish I'd get this kind of reaction like why don't you speak Spanish and I was like well I'm not Spanish <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, it's not my language. Um, And then it would almost be an offense, like, well, shouldn't you be proud that you look like us? And I'm like, well, I yeah. mean, I look like me. I don't know. <laughs> like, I'm proud of what I am. But I, I always wondered if just because of uh, some of the areas where you do kind of blend or look a lot like the people that are surrounding you, even though you're not necessarily made up of the same things, if you're just kind of assumed or if you're mm-hmm. embraced or mm-hmm. or if you're because you don't speak Spanish or something like that, would you maybe be kind of on the outside of that? Yeah, it's like- it's weird, it's like,
1: you know, I don't speak, that's the thing, I only know a certain uh, language, because I was a teacher you know, back in the day, so, in terms of like, you know, talking, I had, I used to have like maybe like, it was 70% of you know, Hispanic in, at the school that I went to, mm-hmm. and it was bilingual, you know and um, they didn't have teachers, they didn't uh, have translators, so I had to basically like, <laughs> teach an art class on my own, with all <laughs> these different things projects, and everything like that, and just like, hoping that, you know, we could connect and, and for me to, you know, learn, mm-hmm. and um, and I would just, you know, the only thing, you know, I was taught, it was like silencio. <laughs> <I> was, <laughs> that's like, what you
0: needed. <laughs> you know,
1: like all like, it, you know, because I would have classes of like 35, 40 kids in one oh, classroom man. and we would have like mergers of different classes and so it was, you know, insane. Uh, but, you know, uh, but I, I, you know, I felt that connection in terms of the culture and everything mm-hmm. and, and just being up from my family, you know, background, I think too, I think it has to do with like the island thing because you have like West Indian type thing and it's like mm-hmm. those type of cultures kind of, you know, have the same you know upbringing I think like family unit and it's sure yeah uh,
0: yeah yeah. um well that kind of segues into a little bit about like the kind of projects that you are working on uh, in terms of your your production experience um have you, did you kind of or, always sort of work on projects that tended to have some sort of racial bend to it or something? Or is that just kind of what's happening right now in your life because of what's yeah, going on? Yeah,
1: that's a good question. Like, I would say it's um, it's kind of happening now more. Like, in the beginning it, with Brooklyn is a Love, I, you know, I remember when I first did the first season and, you know, I was like, some of the filmmakers were like, oh, you know, um, it needs to be, like, more diverse. It needs to be more characters. Like, I was so criticized by <Yeah>. And, yeah. you know you know if I was like a you know white person writing this project I don't think they would say ask me that same question because like it's been going on for how many years and like we haven't criticized any yeah.
0: like Bakers like diversity or is when you add a brunette yeah. <laughs> into, right. the, into the mix
1: <laughs> and, you know and and that's the thing it's like and then um you know but to me I feel like you know uh there's a project or uh, not a project but there's um that TV show um I actually saw the documentary and it's like a horrible show if you watch it now it's like so offensive but it's uh, married with children and you know, I
0: grew up Right, my family. I my my grew up with to it too
1: he, and um, there's a black guy who was the creator of it he had a bat cowboy hat if you go look online
0: I did the not know yeah. that
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, a documentary. I didn't see the other guy so he, there was like two writers on the show but I think it was him who kind of was the push on really? it and he had to get like a white writer with him to kind of get it on Fox and stuff but he was the creator of the show did and he, he write it wrote, for
0: a black family and they put a white trash no. family in there or did he no. write it for white people
1: um, there was like a documentary, I believe it was on, um, I saw it on cable, it was like on CNN, or when they did those like behind the scenes type thing, and we're just talking about the show because it was so iconic, but um, yeah, and he said that, you know, he wanted to make it about like a white family, and you know, he was talking about the whole development and the characters and the <laughs> actors, yep, and like you never saw his face, you never knew that this was the guy who wrote this, you know, big show. Like, <laughs> if you go, um, even if you type it out like Mary children and put like the creators of it you'll see a photo of him and he's kind of like an odd you know you know <laughs> guy but he has like how hide on you know like suspenders and like that like he's just, <laughs> yeah this writer you know it was like big time he made a lot of money from that you know show and um and so yeah and he kind of created this whole development i thought that was like wow i mean now that i see that angle from it i thought it was just a white person writing this storyline right and it's like from a black suspected perspective showing this struggling you know family huh. and um you know and i think that you know in some ways that's kind of a brilliant thing to kind of show having a black writer or having, you know, somebody talk about that type of thing and having a whole, you know, if you have a whole white cast or half white cast, and you know, have diversity there. Um, I think that kind of opens more doors, too, because, you know, that so people automatically assume that we can't write for like white characters or we yeah. can only stay in our one box type thing you know yeah.
0: Um, so yeah you know. we can only do urban you yeah. know street hood there's there's not just a regular old middle class something that would even be more accessible to a middle class white family with mm-hmm. what would just so happens to have black people there versus like something urban which is what they would expect of
1: oh of totally and, totally and even with like you know Shonda Rhimes and stuff like for Years we didn't even know who like Shonda Rhimes was, like for the first two seasons, or maybe the second season, you know, until it started getting you know popular and people started to catch on. Then we saw photos of her, and she's been in like wh- the business for so many years, like yeah. writing for all these different characters. And you know, in Draze Anatomy, I mean, it, you had maybe you know one black ca- or t- a couple black characters, and then you had the Asian you know, ca- uh, character, and mm-hmm. you know, th- so it was like wow, you kind of saw the person creator of this show, and it was beautifully written, it didn't have any you know, ethnic type, you know, yeah, it's. To- <laughs> <laughs> terminology, even with the black characters, they didn't come from the hood or anything. They were all like intelligent doctors that were working at this hospital. And, you know, and that's something that, you know, I kind of strive for. And I try to, um you know, with projects that all the different projects, even with Jade of the New York Effects, Complexity, or even, um yeah, Haunted by Insomniac, I always want to try to show, you know, the dialogue and everything like that, showing people this is what it is. And mm-hmm. this is kind of black culture and this is how we talk. We don't talk like all, you know, your image of what we are on television is like horrible. <laughs> Right. Yeah,
0: I will Get say away. something that I am excited that uh Shonda did um and I didn't actually watch Grey's Anatomy I think I've seen only a couple episodes uh, because like a friend of mine was an actor on it or something like that for an episode but I did start watching How to Get Away with Murder and one of my favorite things that ever happened was that Viola went to bed with a head wrap
1: whoa okay. Yeah. oh yeah I remember that episode she kind of just like you
0: know yeah and like, it's like she would go from her you know nice put together wig and the next thing you <laughs> say she's in a head wrap and then she gets mad she pops that sucker off and it's just her natural hair and I'm like like America, <laughs> look, <laughs> look at what is happening. <laughs> you never seen that before, so I was really excited to see that because that's when I took pride in knowing, like, this black woman rose up in the ranks, put on all these TV shows that white people consume in mass, and then she gave you a head wrap in, on her next show. And I, that that's one thing that I really like. That I was really excited about. It's
1: so tr- it's so true. Like even with like Scandal and everything. Oh, and I'm so sad that it's ended because it could have been on for more. Because I was. Just just like starting to get into the show and but even with that you know i love the fact that she started she kind of created so many careers for a lot of you know black actresses that Mm -hmm. you know haven't been able to get a lot you know very far in their career you know and sad because of you know the makeup or maybe they were just you know a lot of white actresses they kind of you know, push forward, and and even with Viola Davis was like phenomenal, and mm-hmm. you know, I was so upset that she didn't get like that Oscar for the help. Uh, like,
0: <laughs> I'm sensitive the about the help, though. <laughs> I'm real sensitive yeah. about the help.
1: Like, <laughs> like that was tough, to, you know, movie to watch. It you is, know,
0: and well. I read the book, and the book is much better, and actually tells the story. The the book has a mixed race storyline right smack dab <laughs> in the middle of it, and they changed that up inside the movie so bad that. I almost walked oh, out and I never okay. walk out of a movie. Oh my gosh. So
1: it's a totally different
0: thing. Like is. the book, I
1: didn't even read the book. I have to like start, you know, cause it's like a different, you know, it format. Is. There. You, wow.
0: you have to have like a different mindset too. Cause I was so excited. I had read the help yeah. and I knew it was written by a white woman, but I knew that it was kind of like loosely based off of experiences she had. And mm-hmm. so the, like the maid that she had grown up with had had a light complected daughter. Um, mm. And, and so that daughter would come in and out and play with the kids and, and and so the, the main white character, you know, was familiar with them and everything like that. But there's this huge scene in the center of the book that is a that involves that light skinned the white passing daughter talking to a room full of white women without them knowing. And so and it's the mother of the main white character. And I don't remember Skeeter or whatever her name was. I don't remember her name anymore. Um, but the mother of her flips the fuck out and snatches that that white passing girl out of there. And then it basically splits up the family. It puts the the maid in a position of having to choose to stay with with the family or not, um, or stay with her child or not, so they end up sending the daughter away. And so, as a mixed girl, I was like, you know, I'm not a biracial girl, but I, I definitely tend to um, feel more understanding where it comes to like the the black mix or the passing or that kind of storyline speaks to me a lot. So I was ready to see that on the big screen. I was like, this is my scene. This is something that will speak to me. And then I see, I watched the movie, and I remember coming out of the movie and sitting in my car in the parking lot, and it. Ran Rained, and I'm just sitting in the car, looking at my phone, trying to decide if I was going to like Facebook rant. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that would have been it's such a good part of the story it to, Br- to bring in yes Let's it was so
0: significant and in this case they just kind of like they made it the, they made the, da- the daughter dark and she walks yeah. in and she's she's being all hoity-toity and so they, they tell a totally different story so when wow. the, the woman is um, sort of like polite to her versus outright bigoted and then does mm-hmm. her thing in private I was so angry because mm-hmm. it, it, it just it just whitewashed it just softened um, you know this like super significant part of that story. And I I was surprised that even the author would have allowed, like, she wouldn't have fought harder for it. I mean, but I know how this stuff goes. You sign your rights over and everything like that. But um, that would have made me really mad if that was my work that they had changed. So I tend to be sensitive about it. Even though I love uh, Viola and Octavia, and I was excited to see like mature black women headlining a movie and everything like that. I was still like, but if you read that book... (laughs)
1: <laughs> right. oh, that would have that would been a good tie into the story, too. And, and They should have stayed true to it, too. Mm-hmm. That's like somebody else's story they're, you know, putting up there,
0: you know. Like you already sign up for knowing that you're about to re- watch a racially charged story. We're talking about the black women that raised the white children of the South during the 50s and 60s. Like you already are expecting it to be uncomfortable for white mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. Um, and to just like, well, we don't want to make it all the way uncomfortable you know that's where i just kind of like i can get really sensitive about it i want to be supportive of those two women but i have a really hard time of being supportive of that film yeah. in particular
1: oh <laughs> you know i feel like you know the same way well i shouldn't say you know the same way but i never read the, that book but it was like you know how i felt with like 12 years of sleep i still haven't seen that movie because mm. i can't see just with the black people getting tortured and like and i remember you know meeting some of the actors you know just my you know friends that watched the movie i was like oh my gosh i'm gonna go see like 12 years slave such a creep told and just like so like you know wow this is great and i'm like i feel so bad cuz like it's part of like our culture you know just seeing that side of history is just like you know it's hard to watch you know it's, but it, yeah, it happened it did ha- you know
0: it's hard it's to know that any period piece that exists for <laughs> us if it's more than 150 years old is going to be slavery based like there's not i'm sure there's stories out there of you know triumphant and successful you know black people but we just don't get those Stories as much as we get the slave stories, and especially because at the time that like Twelve Years a Slave came out, there was also I guess off the heels of that was Birth of a Nation, which oh, yeah. um, that's a whole another thing. Like I would say that Twelve Years a Slave was was created with sort of a thoughtful lens, and you know, mm. like uh, the racism wall really painful to watch is is probably far more realistic, and da da da. Whereas Birth of a Nation unfortunately had the the whole build up from Sundance and then the Smackdown because of Nate. Parker's uh history and everything like that. But because like it forced us to have to side with that movie and be like, you know, they ostracized Nate Parker for something he was acquitted of, but here they have Casey Affleck is getting an Oscar for some shit and and he's you know, he actually paid somebody off. And so it made us have to side up and be like Birth of a Nation, yes, we support it. But if you actually watch that movie, it is terrible. <laughs> like the movie is not a good movie and it forced us to side with it just because mm-hmm. they use racism just to smack down Nate Parker and that, mm-hmm. but that was like back to back. That's all we have to deal with. And so either that, or we're talking about civil rights era period pieces, which are also a different type of pain and violence to watch. We don't get the, you know, running down the the hillsides and the white cliffs of Dover and all that kind of stuff of, of older England, you know, beauty type stuff. We're never going to get that. Um, so it's, it's, yeah, it's, a, it's tough when we're trying to figure out what sort of stories we want to tell, because we really can only tell modern stories if we don't want to, if we don't want to invoke any of the pain um, of the past. It's true. All right. But yeah, so we were going kind of into the whole, um, the the climate has sort of kind of shifted the projects to sort of all be like this. But what, what, I guess, what got you started wanting to, to be a filmmaker? That's
1: a good question. Um, I would say like I shouldn't say failure <laughs> I'm just kidding but I went to you know I went to college I went for animation and visual effects and, um, in San Francisco and um, at the Academy of Art University out there and, um, and I wanted to go into like animation and like you know I want to be an animator you know or Pixar mm-hmm. then I kind of just realized that you know there's not much money into it <laughs> and you know mm-hmm. especially with animators they pay them like less and your salary never goes up so, like they, they kind of just warned us that Oh really? We in, you know as Students, You know, they're saying that, you know, because there's so many animators and now they're getting um, animators from like, you know, different areas, in India, all these different places, mm-hmm. and they pay them very little to, to work on all these different movies that you see right now. Um, and um, yeah, so, you know, kind of, I still want, you know, love, you know, art and everything, but um, I've always been you know, loved filmmaking, you know, ever since growing up, you know, my mother was so, uh, I think, influential because, um, you know, she loves watching like soap operas, shows like Heart to Heart, all these different, my brother was named after uh, Jonathan Hart from Heart to Heart. I was named after Danielle from, you know, As the World Turns, Meg Ryan's Baby, like, you know, because she was so like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's an emotional thing, but hooked to like Aaron Spelling and all these different, you know, producers that really catered towards, um, you know, uh, romance or Drama, you know, type series that were just phenomenal, mm-hmm. and um, and you know, just the way of storytelling, and especially for um, you know, soap operas, how you can be able to create a project and have it last for like, 40 years of like the same different storylines happening, new characters mm-hmm. coming in, replacements and stuff, and still people can you know watch it is just phenomenal, and you know, so I was like so inspired by that that you know I always loved to do it, but I was scared about doing it, and I started taking classes like an elective um for like intro to filmmaking. Mm-hmm. And one of my professors there was like, oh, damn, you know, you should you know, definitely look into, you know, taking classes after you graduate, you know, maybe going back to filmmaking or you know, being a master's or something. And I was like, really? I'm like, you know, you think so. I'm like, do you think I'd be able to do it? Because there wasn't that many, you know, female, you know, filmmakers or producers, really, that you've heard of. It was always men in the yeah. forefront of filmmaking. And um, this is before Shawn Rhimes, all these different people. So, um, so I, you know, when I went back from the Academy and went back home, and everything and I started taking classes at um, at City College of New York and um, I did a web show called On the Scene and so I started doing this like small you know project with my little camcorder I bought for like $200 <laughs> <laughs> and I went to you know all these underground places in Brooklyn you know and this is back in like Occupy Wall Street where the places in you know and especially Williamsburg were never close to what is now with Starbucks on the corner and beautiful and everything like it was yeah. kind of deserted and, and a lot of kids though from the colleges used to go because you know it was just a very depressing time you know at that time and um the music was just so you know awesome and I interviewed a whole bunch of uh, artists and it branched off to the UK and the the web show became very popular and having a following mm-hmm. and um and then so what ended up happening was um uh, you know I was taking classes at the time but you know I ended up interviewing like Ian Axel great big world now he's like this big top you know, person, he was like a student at NYU when I interviewed Mm. him. There's Chad, you know, who was his manager. So he <laughs> he wasn't his sidekick singer. Um, so, um, yeah. And, and then the other lady, uh, Rachel Placton, who became this big success, you know, singer um, for doing the promotions for Hillary um, for the fight song. And so she, you know, I remember sitting at her apartment. She was, uh, you know, a music teacher. She had a, a student and I was waiting outside. And um, she played me some of her music and I started <laughs> recording it. And like, this is the person right before she ended up being signed. I remember in my car listening sitting to her on, on the radio and I was mm-hmm. like, this is the beginning of what I was doing. And then I was like, huh. then I was like um, you know, I started uh, my own production company. I left school and I started my own production company, Peel Entertainment, at LLC. And I just took a gamble and started developing this series called Brooklyn is Love. And it was really influenced influence from all the music and the bands that I, I you know, went to do and interview mm. to influence this show about young, you know, late 20s, um, you know, early 30s, some things that, you know, are living in Brooklyn, trying to find love and and during this whole kind of everything that's going on in their lives and so um I know you know now there's like so many shows like that you know Brooklyn but when I started it, there's like kind of not many or, you know, shows that kind of catered towards that, you know, demographic. And um, so, yeah, this yeah. is kind of how I started. <laughs> it's a long story.
0: <laughs> did um, the Brooklyn and Love, I mean, I remember you saying something about Brooklyn and Love. You got a little bit of criticism because it wasn't super diverse at the mm-hmm. time or whatever. Mm-hmm. But did that make you start to think about diversity in your work or was that just oh, accidental?
1: Yeah, oh definitely. You know, especially as filmmakers, you always take, you know, either criticism or like that to help us you know get better i think you know because you always have to look at the audience the people that are watching your show that you don't see you know things in a certain way but you know they might take things you know um, from what they're watching too and so um and it's good you know it's good to have criticism because it kind of makes you stronger and it makes you better a better filmmaker um you know to try harder for you know for the next thing and you always want to have like everyone's voices to be heard you know especially you know that's what i try to strive for in filmmaking and everything and even with brooklyn is love it was kind of like, you know, wasn't so much the diversity, but I remember um, there was even criticism in terms of, uh, you know, the the LGBT storyline, especially with Brian, um, the gay character in the series. And Mm -hmm. I remember somebody messaging me and and a friend of mine, I used to share all his information or his, um, you know, film projects and stuff. And he would be like, oh, you know, I can't really share that, you know, because of the subject matter and, you know, what's Mm. in the show. Yeah. And people and this is like before, you know, the gay marriage and everything so people were very like a little skeptical because they saw a black uh you know gay character you know in the series playing a male prostitute <laughs> that was yeah. a student at school at new york and then being with these two girls you know they're the, his best friends and and showing that dynamic because you know what we you know imagine and we see on television um you watch law and order and all these different things in our culture we kind of don't show that dynamic I think to me mm-hmm. that type of diversity of a black guy and a white person, you know, white person two white characters and they're like best of friends, like mm-hmm. that does happen, you know?
0: And also but, without yeah. it seeming like tokenism or yeah, feeling right. very false because it, it didn't, you know, no yeah. one knows how to make black people and white people be friends. On TV. Right. It's so true. And like, and a sad thing is
1: like, there was other characters in the show, you know, um, there was also a Nadia, um, Serenis, that was also like a very big, poc- uh, very big, um, you know, Character in the series, she was in the main cast photos and everything like that. Everybody kind of like you know forgot about. It. And she was from you know um, Argentina, and you know she was like you know big influence there. And there also was um, DJ Rodney, who was his roommate, um, Kevin's roommate, and he had a like a radio show. And he was kind of the influence of like everybody listening to his radio show was like a popular person in Brooklyn. And um, and he was like kind of like Kevin's like mentor, his best friend, and um, talking about Diane and everything. So uh, it's sad because like a lot of people. And were like oh you know there was not much of that diversity but um you know the next season you know was definitely I made that kind of like a big uh influence and we had a lot of Black characters. There was interracial couple, especially with Diane and um, the architect Isaac, and um, and, and you saw uh, also um, Amy that ends up coming back. The character played by Nadia. Um, she ends up being a love interest with Charlie, and so it was just like I kind of raised the bar in terms of that, and kind of you know really um, gotten you know, and especially giving other opportunities, especially for a lot of the demographic and the actors out there, you know, to be a part of something. Um, but yeah.
0: Did you feel (laughs) because you got that criticism and kind of responded to it, did you feel that your work wasn't um, yours or was it just something that kind of brought it to your attention? Like, oh, yeah, I probably did this because all of my TV shows me white faces anyway and so that's why I kind of wrote for white people yeah I guess
1: like you know it you know whenever as writers we write based on what we're you know basically exposed to I think or write to things that we're used to and I think like you know during that time um you know even though I went to San Francisco and everything like that you know and I got even more diverse you know in terms of like meeting people from different areas Hawaii and everything um you know it does you know have an effect you know to you and and how you write and everything to me it's like I just didn't even see color or that type of influence or that being <laughs> like you know because of what films and projects I, I watched. Yeah. Um, you know, but I was like, you know, it, it, it's you know, diversity is important, and um, and I always want to strive to that. And I've always had that you know um, in my mind and everything from Brooklyn is Love the first season. You know, even before that with uh, on the scene series, you know, it was always a diverse in terms of musicians that I interviewed. There was black musicians, and uh, oh my god, there was Asian. Musician, especially with um, the Paper Raincoat. He was a music producer. Um, uh, Vienna Tang, uh, uh, other um, very you know popular musician. Um, yeah, it's like I kind of just try my best to kind of always have an influence of diversity. You know, I feel like you know in terms of diversity, it can go both ways. It can be like having a diverse in terms of crew of people that are behind the scenes creating this whole project. You can have like a whole black you know crew, and you're making white characters and you're acting.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: to me, I think that's you know just as enough strength in a project and, and enough influence. And I think that should be, you know, praised the same way, you know, to, to me. But sometimes it's like kind of goes off the wrong way. Yeah. In terms of that, you know, especially you know, a person of color and you're, you're creating this project and you're, you know, having, you know, white actors and you're working to them and you're the one calling the shots and telling them how this is what you want, you know, for your project. It's like, it's, to me, I think it's amazing, you know, at the same time. Yeah. Because how many years ago, that never happened You know, before. It used to be like black characters with the white faces or whatever you know kind of like Mm -hmm. you know having to cater towards you know white producers and people kind of showing them in like such a negative you know way and like how many years ago and then now it's like oh now you have a black director and a person you know doing this and but showing a positive light in in a lot of the projects that you're putting forward you know i think is is Mm. you know it's great i don't know
0: yeah. Let's go ahead and, and jump over to now complexity. So how you and I connected is I posted on a Facebook group that is sort of like people of color in, in entertainment Um and you you responded to it. Um, and from there, we kind of had our initial, e- you know, back and forth email chat. But then I started to Facebook stalk you because I wanted to know who I was talking to. And I saw <laughs> I saw your post about complexity. I, I mean, I saw a couple of your projects, but complexity was the one that I sort of zeroed in on. On because colorism is obviously something that's going to come up from time to time on this particular podcast since we're dealing with mixed race um, but it's also something that has been kind of on my mind a lot lately mm-hmm. just uh, in two kinds of ways. Um, one in that in in my issue of not presenting as black as I am you know and, and then also uh, seeing things like uh, the things that frustrate me like you have an, uh, a black family cast in a white show and it'll be like the parents are both dark or both light and then all of the children are the opposite. Or there's not like multiple shades of, fa- you know, family members, things like that always kind of bothered me. Or just like making any of the darker people, whether they were East Indian or Black or Hispanic or Latin or Asian, that the darker ones were always in service of something and the lighter ones were usually the ones that could that could like pull off being richer or more affluent or whatever. Um, so that kind of stuff has, you know, been on my mind a lot lately. So I zeroed in on it when I saw it on your page. And, and and then you and I finally got to talk, and then I also from you got connected to Melissa. So tell me first, like how you found out about the project, how you got involved. Yeah, you know, how you know, feel I about colors? I was actually yeah, I was
1: actually um, connected to Melissa probably for like the past year, and like we were both connected, and we you know you know we would IM each other like you no know, now and then, but you know she would always say like you know she's working on this project, and it was like going on for a couple months or more. Um, I didn't know the subject or anything like that about it, but I saw a post in the POC and media. Uh, media group. Uh, it's who, you know, uh, POC Media. And I saw the post and I was like, wow, you know, she's like looking for a producer um, for this project, Complexity. And but I remember she reaching, she was reaching me about doing like a DTE pr- position or something. And I reached out to her I said, wow, you're doing this like you're looking for a producer? I'd love to be a, a part of it. You know, and so she's like, really? I'm like, yeah, I'm like, definitely know when you need like help or assistance or whatever. And um, and so while she started kind of developing it, um, and then she reached out to me and she's like, you know, you uh, know, Uh, Would you like to have a cup of coffee or, you know, to meet up? Um, You know, I'm interviewing other producers and stuff and um, I really got... You know, talking and um, really hit it off. And and I loved what she was putting forward to the forefront. Really, I thought it was very inspiring, especially for, um, you know, the younger generation, young girls that feel the same way and feeling kind of like left out. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, colorism, is that just with the, you know, Latino community and Latinx uh, community, but also Asian. And it's also an Indian, everywhere, you know, um, women mostly that feeling this kind of void and Mm -hmm. uh, discrimination, you know, and, but yeah and i was like wow you know i'd love to be a part of it you know it was like whenever there's something that you know and you're right like touches on a subject that may be a little bit uncomfortable or just having that type of feeling of anything you know really just moving you know i always gravitate to and i'm like i have to be a part of that you know project in some way as a producer at level to support it and um and i love what she's you know putting together for this and she really we also just hired another producer uh, crystal roman uh from black latina movement um she's amazing and i worked with her uh for cecilia the solubit that's actually a short film i was the ad on a couple of months back and um it was great production really great crew and everything and she reached out to me um you know melissa and said i'm looking for another producer i said definitely go with crystal (laughs) i got her in contact Mm. like she has her own company kate it's black latina movement really everything that she's like striving for and she's been talking about colorism for like the past like 10 to 17 years or more which would Mm. you know her whole focus was to kind of show young girls and, and girls growing up that you know your voices are being heard in our stories and and our films and that's kind of something that she's been always striving towards and um so like yeah even when I was working with her I had such a blast and, and she even reached out to me about directing her next project for it's like a TV show or TV series mm, so um awesome. yeah so it kind of just, it kind of like worked out in that way um but yeah I think you know just, just how she was kind of putting it forward she had a um you know, just like, you know, a total foundation before even stepping up to going, doing Seed Spark. You know, she really knew what she wanted to do and, um, and how to kind of put it, you know, that whole production forward with that and the push for the fundraiser. And I thought that was amazing. Somebody having that drive, you know, I'll just, you know, hang in there with her and really promote it every step of the way. So,
0: yeah, I'm, I'm excited about the, the project. Um, I know I, so actually before the day before that we actually got to speak for the first time, you and I, I had looked on the Seed and Spark page, and I watched the video and everything. Um, and I was like, "Oh, I've got to, the, these people. I have to talk to." So I was, <laughs> I, I was really excited about it. The, I mean, colorism—it's something that is—it's so surprisingly only our issue, even though, <laughs> I mean, even though it is something that is that was kind of done to us um, by, if not white people or the lighter skin kind of thing, being you know, they've they've told us lighter is better and so now we are reacting accordingly um i still think that it is it comes as a surprise sometimes to, to white people or lighter skinned people when you have to bring up like hey you know a dark-skinned person isn't lesser in some way or uh you shouldn't just always cast the light-skinned person as the black representative um for the show because you know there's a lot of different ones of us and i say that even coming from a light-skinned perspective um so it, it is something that seems very personal to to me and I I don't know how to tell my version of it beyond doing something like this, talking to you and talking to Melissa and and other people of mixed race and just saying, you know, how did you feel growing up light skin or lighter skin? How did you feel when people would tell you you had the good hair or they would try to touch your hair? You know, things like that. Like, mm-hmm. this is my, the way that I can kind of get out that colorism is a real problem in our community. Um, both that we do it to ourselves and that it gets done to us. Um, so the more that we talk about it, the more I raise awareness and hopefully we start to see a shift in our culture.
1: Yeah. And even like, I, I there's a music video that somebody remade for like, This is America and...
0: Like oh, those. yes. Uh, Got so upset when
1: I was like, I remember seeing on Facebook, and then I saw all these like comments, and like you know, everybody was like criticizing true it's Like, you know, you're talking about like women, you know, rights and everything. That's a great thing, you know. But I feel like, you know, even with that, like I, just had a podcast earlier today, and that was a similar question he was mentioning about, you know, you know, in terms of that, like you know, we're talking about equality and with women in film, and do you notice that there is, you know, is there kind of a divide? And you know, I spoke up about. I said that, you know, I do notice that there are you know great female you know directors that are white but it seems like they're not Pushing also POC and people of color crew members mm-hmm. on their you know production team, and they have a big budget. A lot of them they have like thirty thousand dollars, fifty thousand dollars, yeah, and they're able to get these resources, and they're not including you know people of color part of it, or even at the forefront. And it's like you know something has to happen. Like this is awesome women film, but like we also have to include everybody you know yeah. in that and, and have that type of and and not just to have all female. You know I think it's awesome, but I think it's you know. If, if, Female producers are at the forefront, and directors. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it should be equal, and having like half, you know, half, um, you know, male and half female, and Mm -hmm. you know, having it inclusion so that way they can learn from that men and can see that oh wow, there's like a female D P, there's a female, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, sound person, and I can actually work with them, and it's like the same as a guy, you know, right? So I want to like continue on this journey, you know, with them. I think that's like a a powerful, you know, movement. Um, That's an interesting
0: point because I've. been a part of a few all-female crews before, pro- you know, a couple projects. And, and you feel kind of good when you're doing it. You know, you're like, yeah, you know, female, female, female. But they've also been, you know, white-driven. And, and look at what we say in our language. We say, you know, we need to be more diverse and more inclusive there's women and people of color you know so who are the women then are they just white women well we have to assume that because they tend to be in the forefront and we have to assume it because you'll hear things like women and women of color women Mm -hmm. and people of color color. like so they always make sure that the of color is separate you know first Mm -hmm. and and this is the way our culture goes right you know uh, even though technically black men had the vote before white women black Mm -hmm. men weren't allowed to vote and and white women who were who were um, fighting for the vote were actually fighting against the black vote mm-hmm. at the same time they're fighting for the white woman vote and not the black vote they finally get the vote and and then it's years and years and years later that we're starting to see okay now finally black people can vote without being attacked on on their way to the polls or you know it, it it's it's not outside of even in our in our lifetime that People are being attacked for trying to do that. So our culture does this. You know, now, right now, it's, let's be more inclusive. Let's get women producers and directors and writers and da da da. And it's like, oh yeah. Also, don't forget those people of color over there. Let's, you know, bring them in, too. So it's it's one of those things like we need white people to to help us do this. Right. Mm-hmm, you know, white-
1: like, like even like Cecile Tyson, she mentioned that quote and said that, you know, it's like white man, you know, um, he was like um, white man, black man, I think, or white, you know, yeah, white man, black man, uh, white woman, black woman, like black woman is like at the bottom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in terms of, like the media and like, you know, pr- production and stuff. It's, it's so true.
0: Yeah. And it's like, and what would be the problem in doing it at the same time? Like, why, why can't the, you know, but then, but then it's also how do we identify? Because when I really think about it, I think of myself as black before I think of myself as, as a woman. Mm -hmm. I, I honestly, I kind of think of myself as sort of black and then mixed and then a woman and then a bisexual. Like I, I keep going down the list until I start Mm -hmm. to really, you know, I pull my, the sum of who I am still comes up at the end, but it's Mm -hmm. still hierarchical. So I'm far more passionate about issues as they relate to black people than I am as issues that relate to the other races that, and ethnicities that I'm made up of. And then I'm far more uh, passionate about those than I am about gender issues, you know, and then so on and so forth. So I, well, I would say that probably being on the LGBT spectrum and woman is kind of even for me, but black comes first, mm-hmm. but not everybody's like that. Some people would put their gender ahead of their race and things like that. So I guess it also depends on who's in the fight. (laughs) Yeah,
1: like, they're even talking about now, like, like, kind of sudden, you know, a sudden way, um, you know, even with uh, Pride Month and everything like that, they're also talking about um, that, oh, yeah, they talked about 70% or 77% I shared it, like, on Facebook um, of characters uh, in terms of, like, LGBT or white characters Mm -hmm. and they said that only, like, you know, small percentage is, you know, all different races that, you know, POC and it's like, really have to change this, you know, Mm -hmm. in America. It's like, it's still gone so whitewashed in a way mm-hmm. in terms of all you know that type of thing and like for you watch television and shows and so like that but you don't the only show that i've seen i still have to watch the first episode is uh pose i think it's pose
0: i haven't started oh. seeing it yet but i i was because i kind of want to binge it i think i'm gonna want to binge it so I'm, i haven't started watching it yet for that reason but yeah it's like yeah i'm uh, it's so funny because i'm i'm excited about these type of things but here's that here's the other part of it is wherever inclusion and diversity is absent, it forces me to not only consume, but enjoy stuff Mm -hmm. that's subpar. So Mm -hmm. I remember like on the I don't remember what the gay network on cable was called or is called, but years ago, back when I had it, had the channel, there was this really terrible all-black male cast, like, gay male cast show. Oh, like, yeah. I remember that sh- um Oh, my God, it's gonna come to me. I don't but remember like what it was called. Popular. But yeah. I remember thinking, this is terrible, but I, I, like I watched it
1: non-stop. It, it was like Noah's Ark, I think. Noah's yes, Ark, no.
0: yes, that's yeah. it. Yeah, And I remember, yeah. like, half-loving it and half-hating it, and I loved it because I was seeing, like, gay men of color, like, okay, awesome. Um, but at the same time, some of it was so just, you know, if not always well acted, sometimes it was pretty mm-hmm. campy, which you can kind of excuse campiness because the culture and things like that. But I was just sitting here going like, this is all I have, so I'm going to go ahead and consume it. But I know this is not the best thing in the world. <laughs> um, it's so funny. Like it does. It forces you to watch watch kind of like the not the best things just because it's available um, because we need it in some kind of way um and
1: even like when you see like moonlight and that was kind of you know the lgbt you know film something like that was beautifully made and they talk about black culture and like you know lgbt you characters and you know and like just about his life kind of an outcome of age you know type story or theme um that was beautifully done you know and how you put it together but it's so true it's like they don't know you know i'm hoping that there is a show and that's kind of like what we're trying to do for jaded the new york effect it's like has that same diversity black characters uh you know um you know latino characters stuff that are you know at the forefront and mm. and really changing it it's not you know um just going on stereotypes and stuff like that that's you know horrible you know like how i loved ugly betty i love that show so much and it's like and it but it, they kind of made fun of like culture you know in like um, mm-hmm. Yeah, like the Mexican or you know community and stuff, and the like sort of telenovela you know, style, right? Yeah, and like you know, but later on, it started to be really popular and everything. And America for she, you know, it's awesome. And um, but yeah, it's like you know, but with Jaded, it kind of shows um, you know, this person from uh, PR that comes up to New York and is a love story. You know, that's really good and even talks about his family, his his father, his relationship with his father. And I think it touches on a lot of different you know um, subjects that I think you know people can relate to and um, you know, in a good way. I think.
0: Okay, um, I do think that we we hit a good amount of time we, we yeah. did pretty well we didn't go we didn't go too far off track i think um which is probably pretty successful for both of us i know we're talkers uh, <laughs> um, it's such a good co-
1: like it's such a good topic that like it go on around right and, like, and all these different stuff you can talk
0: about that's day. what i say like i don't i hope that these aren't one and done interviews or anything <laughs> like that because not only do i feel like i'm uh, you know i'm getting an opportunity to connect with all these amazing mixed people doing all this amazing stuff and and being able to say like look we can do this we can do that um selfishly for me it's like i growing my family. Like I, besides the mixed cousins and, you know, my sibling and stuff like that, um, I, my world is very monoracial. I live in a fairly white area, maybe kind of a little bit Asian. My husband, although half white, half Palestinian, grew up white. So he thinks and behaves kind of white. I don't get, you know, like I don't get a whole lot of exposure to a lot of people that are like me. Um, So this is kind of my way of extending that. And I I talked to someone like you or some of the other people I've talked to. And I was just like, you know, I feel like I'm going to be connected to, to you for life in some capacity, whether it's you continuing to come back every time you have a project or anytime you just got an issue and you, You know, an itch you need to scratch conversationally um, or just now we know each other, (laughs) you know, and I think that's an amazing thing. And hopefully militantly mixed is not only just a podcast, but becomes somewhat of a, a movement in terms of uniting mixed people and and celebrating both our diversity internally, but externally as as mixed people across the world right it's
1: amazing and I love the what you're doing and like you you know just the topics and everything like that so I'm like definitely gonna you know I want to uh, pull more people in filmmakers and stuff and you know to get the conversation you know going yeah. and you know for the yeah. show
0: That's awesome yeah maybe we can do like a panel thing um, with yeah. a, a number of filmmakers or something down the road that would be great that would be great that would be great all right well thank you so much uh, well before we go do you have any kind of parting thoughts something you really want to get out there do you want to plug yeah. some social media stuff? Tell us oh, how yeah. to find you. Oh, yeah.
1: Um, I would say, um, yeah, so in terms of like social media, um, I have to update my website, but on Peel Entertainment, you can easily go on www. Uh, plentertainment.com uh, you can see all the projects and stuff that I'm working on and um, if you have Instagram you can uh, follow me it's uh, de227 on Instagram and also I'm on Facebook so you can always message me Always um pretty much with all the projects I'm always on social media trying to like promote mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so.
0: Is de227 having to do with the show 227 or de your initials? <laughs> in the t- uh, you know, I usually just do
1: it so I can remember because of my old age and like you know I <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) in in terms of that so like everything
0: has to be like the 227 or like you know that type of thing that's funny that's cute Uh, right. well thank you so much for joining me I appreciate that you know we've worked around our busy schedules to kind of reconnect I know it's been a few weeks since we talked last thank you for connecting me to Melissa and exposing me to Complexity series I'm really excited and I want to be connected to that project every step of the way however I can from my little couch in LA um to be a support to you and um and thank you thanks for coming
1: oh, thank you so much thank you so much for having me on the program
0: yeah it's great. All right. <laughs> Militantly Mix is a main hustle media podcast produced and hosted by me, Charmaine Johnson. Music is by David Bogan, The One. And if you like what you heard on Militantly Mix, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes and wherever you find your podcasts. Main Hustle Media, turn your side hustle into your main hustle.